0: Thank you, Allie. Friends, pray with me, please. So, O God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Illumine our souls, O God. Illumine our minds, our hearts, our bodies for you. Draw us near to you, we pray. God's people say, amen. Friends, so listen for the word of God as it comes to us this day. This is the letter to the Ephesian church. This is chapter 4, verse 25 to verse 2 in chapter 5. Listen for the word of God as it comes to us. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, and the word of our God shall stand for how long? Really, how long? How long? Forever Forever and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen? So the Ephesian church is struggling in these days. Not a surprise for all of these fledgling new communities of believers. You remember this, right? In the first century, These new churches weren't churches like this. They didn't have sanctuaries and places to meet. These new communities of faith, they met where? Oh, good, they met in houses. These are house churches. So the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus or the church in Thessalonica, these are groups of 35 or 40 people, and they're doing their very best to learn what it means to follow Jesus of Nazareth to learn what it means to be the body of Christ. Ephesus is no different, but it is challenging because Ephesus, archaeologists tell us at the time of Christ, had about 300,000 people as the population of the city. That makes it the second largest city in the Roman Empire, second only to the city of Rome. Rome is only larger, right? Ephesus is second. Some archaeologists and anthropologists argue that Ephesus actually was the economic center of the Roman Empire at this time because it was a phenomenal port city. The port of Ephesus sat on the Mediterranean Sea. It is nestled there in the southern part of modern-day Turkey. It was a magnificent port. It was a phenomenal trade route between East and West, Asia and Europe. Ephesus is right there in the middle of Asia Minor. Mediterranean Sea, trade routes by land, 300,000 people, different cultures, different languages, different religious systems, different kinds of people. Ephesus was so powerful, it was housing one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. The Temple of Artemis in Greek. In Latin, it would be Diana, the temple of Diana, the goddess of childbirth, the goddess of harvest, the goddess of fruits of the earth and fruits of the spirits was given a temple there. It was magnificent. It was this, right? So you come into the port, and you would see this incredible temple. There was a paved road that was significant in and of itself, an engineering feat, a paved road from the port all the way up the hill to the temple of Diana. Amazing, amazing road. On both sides of the road are these shops and stores and stalls selling all kinds of goods for the pilgrims who are there to come to worship at the temple and for those who are trading in the city itself. There would be little uh, temple goddess figures available. There would be um, trinkets. There would be t shirts. Uh, my parents went to Ephesus, and all I got was this t shirt, right? It would be there on the side. And all along that side of the street, there would also be sellers of incense. Because what you did was you bought incense, took it to the temple, and you burned it there as an offering and sacrifice to the goddess. Anthropologists say that there was actually a smell to Ephesus. There was so much incense in Ephesus that they would talk about the Ephesian smell. And people would say, oh, you smell like an Ephesian. This sanctuary today smells like Ephesians are living here. There was so much incense. So no wonder the writer of this letter to the Ephesians would say, be imitators of God. Just as God has loved us, be children of the living God. Live and love and carry yourselves as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. No wonder the writer uses that image. The Ephesians would have got it like that. Of course, we're Ephesians. We smell like a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Smell and smelling faith. So we've talked about this, right, of the classic five senses. Classic five senses, go. Taste, touch, smell, sight, and hearing of the classic five senses, right? The one that engages the most amount of brain power is sight, right? The most amount of brain power you use when you see something. But the sense that is the strongest remembering and emotive sense is smell because it's neuroscience, right? This is God's doing in our brains, because the olfactory in our noses sends signals to two places in our limbic system, the amygdala, which is the center of emotion, and the hippocampus, which is the center of memory. So when you smell something, it triggers emotion and it triggers memory fastest. The other four senses don't travel through the amygdala or the hippocampus, the limbic system. Only smell does that. So no wonder smell triggers for us memory and emotion. So it's no surprise as American consumers that our corporations have picked up on this. They call it scent marketing, S-C-E-N-T, marketing. It's actually a whole branch of marketing called scent marketing. You know this, right? You experience this. Um, I was reading about it in a journal of marketing, saying one article said that stores that provide a particular kind of scent—it it is a citrus light orange or lemon, Stores that have a light orange or lemon scent, not too heavy, but a, a light orange or lemon scent, they experience 7 to 12% increases in sales over stores that have no scent provided in their store. Um, You know this, right? Cinnabon, the maker of uh, cinnamon rolls in malls and airports, right? They figured out that they could place their oven as close to the front of the store as possible. So when you're walking by in the mall, you smell cinnamon rolls, and you are drawn to that smell. Scent marketing. Do you know it took Starbucks a year and a half before they officially launched their hot breakfast sandwiches. They had them ready, but it took them a year and a half because they couldn't figure out how to prevent the smell of the fresh breakfast sandwich overpowering the smell of one thing. Starbucks is very clear. You walk into a Starbucks store, you're going to smell... That's it. You're going to smell coffee. And did you know this? Starbucks smell of coffee is trademarked. It is a particular smell of coffee that will only appear in Starbucks stores. They are so clear about this that they have it trademarked because you will smell that same scent of coffee whether you are down the street here in Prairie Village or whether you're walking in Berlin or going into a star in Tokyo or a store in Cape Town, South Africa. It is the exact same coffee smell. Starbucks is clear about that. So smelling faith. What does it mean for you and for me to offer ourselves as a fragrant gift to God? To be smelly Ephesians in this day and age? So. You know I taught at Columbia Seminary for a number of years. One of my classes, I would take a class and we would visit St. Elias Antiochian Orthodox Church, which is just down the street from our seminary there in Decatur. Take a bunch of Presbyterians and we would go worship at St. Elias Antiochian Church. Uh, we would experience worship because I wanted my students to see and taste. So at the, in the Orthodox churches, wherever you look, you see all kinds of things. They're called icons, and they have these different paintings of different saints and God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Wherever you look, you can't not look anywhere, and there's all a lot to see, right? There is this wonderful smell. There's incense. The priest would come in with this censer. We were going to try that um, here in Worship worship, but we were afraid we are going to set off the smoke alarm. <laughs> and it would be a bad thing to have the guys up the street come and try put out a fire that was here because of our scent, right? I don't know how the Episcopalians do it. Anyway... Um, Uh, Also, you can taste uh, when they do communion, every single time they worship in the Orthodox Church, they take the body of Christ and they crumble it up into this big golden bowl and they pour this wine, blessed and consecrated wine, and they use this big huge golden spoon and they mush it all up. And then one by one, children come and then young people and then young adults and older adults, we come and they spoon into our mouths this mixture of The body and blood of Christ, it's really tasty, it's interesting, so you see, you taste, you smell, you hear the liturgy, and you touch the icons. Father John is the priest there, and I would see him every once in a while. I'd go myself there early mornings to worship. He came up next to me and said, Professor Nishioka, you know your class that you brought here two months ago. I said, yes, Father. He said, some of your students are coming back by themselves, and they're worshiping with us. I said, they are? He said, yes. Now, we are glad that they have found the one true church of Jesus, but we're sort of interested. Why do you think your students are coming here to worship? And I said, Father, I think it's because you, Orthodox, do wonder and awe and mystery really well. And I think it's because you offer to us a full-bodied experience of the Holy because we taste, and see, and smell, and we touch, and we hear the good news of God, thanks to you. Smell is our strongest emotion and memory sense. It draws us in in ways that even surprise us, in some remarkable ways that comfort us. This was about a year and a half ago that I got a a text from Dana. I had the great privilege and honor of walking with Dana and her mom and her dad as her mom battled cancer and died way, way too young. Had her service here in this sanctuary. Dana and her mom were best friends. They would walk in the neighborhood often usually almost every day. She said they'd be texting and talking multiple times a day. They were best friends. It broke Dana's heart for her mom to die, and she missed her terribly. She was a young mom herself, and she would talk about different times when she knew her mom would have loved knowing about her granddaughter or her grandson, what was going on. She said it had been one of those days, almost a year after her mom had died, And she was walking the neighborhood route, the same route that she and her mom would walk every single day and talk about the day and her kids, her brother, their kids, all that was going on. And she said she was just missing her mom so much that she started to cry just walking, something that she hadn't done in several weeks. And then she said, Roger, I smelled my mom's perfume." And I stopped, and I looked around, and there was nobody around me. She said, do you think that's possible? I know it was her perfume, because I gave that to her every single Mother's Day, and I would tease her. Mom, you've got to change to a different perfume. But she loved this. Roger, I know what I smelled in that moment. Do you think, and I said, Dana, there are lots of mysteries in this world, but absolutely, I think your mom was reaching out to you. And Dana, there will come a time when you get to see her again face to face, when you go to heaven, and you get to embrace her yet again and go for a walk. And maybe you could ask her, hey, Mom, this is kind of strange, but there was a moment a whole bunch of years ago where, and she'll smile and say, of course, sweetheart, of course, that was me. I just wanted you to know I'm right there with you, and I'm so proud of you, and I love you so much. Of course that was me. The writer to the Ephesians says, oh, you church, be imitators of God as children of the living God, and live in love like Jesus, who gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Come on, you Presbyterians. Be smelly, Presbyterians, and offer your whole selves up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, because that is the God whom we love and serve, who gave his life for us all. Smelling faith all around us, let the incense, O God, be an offering to you, offering of our whole lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org and we invite you to join us again next week.